As you've heard, setting in for Sarah J. Uh, looking forward to hearing from you on the WhatsApp line, talking to you about the WhatsApp line. Uh, Dr. Shalvan Lochenberg, the man with the knowledge on many of our medical conditions, joins us now to have a conversation. Doc, good to be chatting to you with you once again. Good morning. Hey, Amadeo. Morning, morning. Welcome and thank you so much for the invitation. Great to chat again. Absolutely wonderful. Doc, I watched Chicago Mad, eh? And, uh, you know, whenever there's a. Uh, there's an emergency happening on the, you know, on the, you know, on the emergency room. I also become a doctor. You know, I start screaming out codes, code red, code. Ye-. Okay, maybe that's not the case. But uh, could you maybe explain to us the color chart? You know, the system that's applied in most emergency rooms. How is you know the urgency or severity determined? Yes, that's a, what a great question to start off with, and right in the wheelhouse. Hey, so the the system you you're referring to is called triage in uh, in emergency units, and they use a a form of triage all the way around the world, and and it's really a, a kind of a quick assessment of every patient that arrives to get a sense of what their medical priority or medical urgency is, sort of from the doctor's side so that we know how quickly to treat them if there's a potential life-threatening emergency. And from the patient's side, it's actually a kind of a queuing system, if you like, right? You pitch up at the shop and you're standing in the queue. It's first come, first serve. And I suppose everyone more or less appreciates that when you arrive in the emergency unit, it can't really be first come, first serve if the first person's got a sore toe and the next person's got chest pain from a heart attack, right? So the triage system is really designed to medically cue the patients. If you've got one patient, one doctor, no cue required. But if you've got lots of patients, then you need a, a smart system of organizing them. So we take a couple of very select bits of information, things like, uh, a blood pressure, uh, maybe a heart rate, uh, one or two careful questions. It's a, a spe- special sort of template that we use. Um, all of the South African emergency units use a special one called the South African Triage Scoring System. It's actually a very cleverly worked out system. And then they'll, they'll essentially assign you a color. And the color you'll get in South Africa, you'll either be red, in which case you've got an emergency that needs treatment right now, like yesterday. You're going straight into the recess room, we'll look after you orange, which is almost as urgent, but not quite. And the orange patient will also probably end up in the uh, emergency section quite quickly. And then the second two are less urgent, the yellow category, and lastly, the green category. So if you get if you're allocated green, well, it's a good thing in a way, because it means you, you don't have a life-threatening emergency. You might have to wait a bit, unfortunately, just because there's only so many medical professionals to see the patients. Uh, but at least you know that uh, your, your uh, emergency situation is, is understood. So there you go. So red, orange, yellow, green, in that order. And then that gives us a sense of how quickly we need to get to you. Fascinating. Uh, Jeff is asking on the WhatsApp line, is there, any, is there any blood test that can indicate any type of cancer that is present in the body? There are blood tests. and that, So let's maybe say there isn't one silver bullet test that picks up cancer generically, right? So cancer is not a thing. Cancer is a, a process that affects all sorts of different cell lines in the body. So, you know, we can get cancer of something. And it's really an abnormally growing cell line, uh, whether it's a, a prostate or a uterus or a skin or a, a breast, it doesn't really matter. The, the cancer processes will be very different. Some of those cancers have got very specific targets or markers that appear in the bloodstream. So if your, your doctor is searching for a particular 
particular cancer. Sometimes we can pull a special blood test that gives us a clue, not guaranteed, but it gives us a clue that we need to look a bit further for that particular cancer. So the answer is a sort of a qualified yes. Yes, there are some blood tests, but they're quite cancer-specific, and they mean very specific things in terms of risk of the cancer, likelihood, disease. Um, so it sort of starts a process more than guarantees an answer. Uh, another question says, Hi, Abs, can you please ask the doctor what I can do about the arch on arch on my foot that constantly burns? That's from Lee. Uh, I missed the first bit. The what on her foot? Or, oh, the arch of the foot. The arch of the foot, yeah. Yeah, okay. Look, a number of things. It's a little vague, unfortunately, but um, what we'd probably do is uh, kind of evaluate the foot and see whether whether she's got something that is external. In other words, it's skin contact related. Is there a, a sensation that's actually caused by footwear or some kind of dermatitis, some kind of allergic type situation or recent trauma? That We kind of get that out the way. And then if it's something a little bit more internal, a sensation more than something on the skin, then uh, again, we could be looking at um, a nerve-related issue, which could talk back to footwear and maybe trauma from running or walking, for example. Um, Or if there's an underlying disease process, something like a a vascular disease, sometimes diabetics, for example, get sort of neuropathy-type pain in the feet. Um, Best advice here, we need a diagnosis. So uh, she's going to need to see a healthcare professional, maybe even just start with a podiatrist, a foot specialist, just to get a sense of what's cooking. Uh, or start with a general practitioner and just get a, a 20,000 kilometer service on the feet and see what's there. Uh, and, then, and then she can go forward. If you just tuned in, it is 11 minutes before we get to the top of the hour. You're listening to Dr. Charles von Lochenberg, who is uh, the general manager at Life Healthcare, joining you uh, to just share some idea, or rather to respond to many of your questions that you're sending in on the WhatsApp line. Feel free to also have your question put forward on 072-567-1567. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Doc, I think this one uh, we may have chatted about last time. Uh, you and I had a conversation, but it's as a doctor, how do you stay up to date with the latest medical research and treatments? Mm. Well, well, that's assuming that the doctors are actually <laughs> making sure they stay up to date. Eh? Yeah, it's, a, it's a fabulous question. I love that question. Yeah, do- medicine is one of those professions that's almost like ongoing, continual learning, right? So uh, literally as fast as you get to work, you're out of date. Um, and you've got to kind of embrace that and say, look, the, the medical profession is moving quite rapidly. Uh, there are other professions that move just as rapidly, and I suppose we think in the tech sector as well. Um, but the short answer is, we, we do what's called CME, Continuing Medical Education. And doctors uh, within their discipline, so my little world of emergency medicine or any other discipline that someone's involved in, they need to be uh, reading articles that are current. They're available uh, all over the world. We subscribe to different journals and different uh, sources of, of reading, uh, maybe attend meetings, uh, peer review meetings at different hospitals. We often get together as disciplines and we chat about cases. Um, so you, you kind of read and stay up to date uh, in terms of your background. Um, and then actually in, in most countries, like in South Africa, you actually have to submit to your professional council. So in South Africa, the Health Professions Council, Southern Africa, you have to submit every year a certain number of points that uh, are called CPD, Continuing Professional Development Points. And uh, that sort of 
tells everyone that you are keeping up to date. Um, you've, uh, you know, you've attended a certain number of courses, um, and, and there we go. So, but a lot of it is self-governing in a way, in the sense that doctors are kind of obligated, uh, just as healthcare professionals, to uh, to stay up to date. You can always ask your doc and say, right, doc, I've done, I'm, I'm patient Google. I've been doing some reading. Um, uh, what do you think about this? And then, uh, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to decide how sharp your doc is sounding on, the, on their response. <laughs> One says, uh, how do you differentiate between a heart attack and a panic attack in a patient presenting with shortness of breath and chest pain? Love that. Uh, that's actually an exam question. We could ask a medical student that um, <laughs> because I, essentially where you'd start is, right, the symptom that presents there is chest pain, right? So the patient's presenting with chest pain. What we're going to do in the emergency is we're going to exclude the scary causes of chest pain because the list of causes for chest pain is about as long as my arm, right, with very small font. Um, so the list is very long. So what we want to do is exclude the one or two or three at the top, like the heart attack, and we can do that quite quickly. Uh, Typically, we would uh, do a couple of blood tests. So we've got some blood tests where uh, an injured heart or a struggling heart muscle produces some very specific enzymes that we can test for very quickly on a blood test. So we can get like a positive heart attack test, if that makes sense. And we've got one of those. Mm. And we also have a look at a picture of the heart. We, uh, We take an ECG, which is an electrical picture of the heart, and we can get a sense of its behavior from a rhythm point of view. And then we've got a very good idea of whether it's cardiac, and then we can shoot down the cardiac protocols. We can use the medicine that we might need to uh, unblock a coronary artery. If all of those are negative, then we start, you know, then it's Sherlock Holmes time. Then we have to start asking a bit more, a few more questions, uh, get a sense of, you know, this patient is presenting with anxiety symptoms, for example. Uh, they've had their seven espressos in the morning and they're over-caffeinated and they're panicking about some delivery at work. Uh, and then a, a good clinical history will start uh, revealing maybe a softer cause of uh, of the chest pain. And uh, maybe we'll even try a trial of treatment, you know, so we might try something that's uh, going to reduce the anxiety. And uh, if the, the discomfort settles, then bingo, we've kind of connected the dots. But uh, the short answer was we'll always formally exclude the serious stuff first. Morning, Abs. Please ask the doctor if there's a cure for a frozen shoulder. I'm in constant pain, please. That's from Elaine. Ah, Elaine, I feel your pain. Yeah, frozen shoulder. So essentially what we're talking about here is a, a chronic injury. Inflammation is built up in one or two or more of the structures within the shoulder, and the shoulder is quite a complicated joint. Uh, it's typically got these sort of ligaments and tendons that move across the bony joint structure that allow for that rotational movement. Your shoulders are very capable, wide-moving joint, right? And uh, an injury, sometimes a very simple injury, a, a home or trauma-related injury can, can cause inflammation or a partial tear in one of those structures. And then over time, if that inflammation doesn't resolve, you get this frozen shoulder phenomenon where the person gets consistent, constant pain with a particular range of movement. Short answer is you need a professional to to get you in the right direction. You know you're going to need um, 
A, a proper diagnosis, B, to see if any of those tears need formal repair. Um, you might need dedicated anti-inflammatory medication, for example, uh, steroid medicines. We might even need to inject something into that shoulder to try and break the, the inflammatory process. Uh, and then we're going to move into the physio-biokinetic world with some proper uh, exercise rehabilitation for the muscle structure. Uh, but it's a process, and I certainly wouldn't uh, suggest you just uh, sort of wings it in the home environment. Consult uh, an orthopedic uh, professional or sports medicine professional to get things started. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Charles von Lochenberg, who is the general manager at Life Healthcare, talking to you and answering many of your questions that are coming in on the WhatsApp line, 072-567-1567. One of those questions is, Doc, I don't smoke or drink, but some days when I take walks, I feel out of breath. What could be causing this 45-year-old in Cape Town? Hmm. You could answer that question. <laughs> definitely, definitely not not an emergency question. Probably, probably not enough information. <laughs> probably not enough info. But let's uh, let's take a quick stab at it. So, I mean, um, you know, shortness of breath could be a whole range of things. We could be looking at an underlying respiratory condition. We didn't get a sense if it was acute or it's been going on for a long time. Which in which case it might just be a fitness related issue, right? Uh, you know, fitness mm-hmm. is something that has to build and develop over time, and shortness of breath would indicate that the person's working a bit hard. Um, but if there's an underlying respiratory infection, you know, post-COVID thing, just a cold, a flu, that'll certainly do it. Maybe an underlying asthma type situation. Even just an, an allergy can uh, sometimes present with shortness of breath. And then there are lots of systems that aren't respiratory related that can do the same. You know, a person in cardiac failure, um, heart-related issues, they can present with shortness of breath. So I think the best answer here is, uh, a, a general health check with uh, with a general practitioner. Pop to the GP just to get a sense of whether there's any underlying disease that needs modifying or management. If you get a clean bill of health from the doc, then put it into the lack of fitness uh, department <laughs> just very briefly and uh, maybe walk a bit faster up the hill as a, as a quick facetious answer. Um, but certainly get the health checked out before uh, before just blaming the gym program. Well, we, uh, we can squeeze in one more, Doc, and, the, and I think this one is uh, quite interesting, uh, saying that what, you know, what is the protocol for managing patients with suspected poisoning? Mm. Mm. How do you determine the type of poison involved? Wow. Yeah, uh, the, the quick answer is often we don't. Uh, because there's so many. So what we'll do is we actually manage them according to symptoms. So does the person present with a symptom or a syndrome that helps us steer towards a specific toxin, you know, whether it's plant-based or affecting the nerve system or affecting the gastrointestinal tract. So we'll work on symptoms and often work backwards because they're just literally too many poisons to test for. Unless we can get a good history and the person can tell us literally what they've taken or what they might be exposed to. Um, but we'll often manage the patient almost uh, uh, blind in a way until those clues from the toxin emerge. Uh, and then we can steer it and see if we've got something like an antidote that might apply to a very specific one. Doc, you know, reading all of these questions and you answering them, we sometimes forget the sort of, I don't know, mental preparedness that you guys must have. I mean, to deal with all of this, you talk of poisoning, you talk of, yeah, everything that we've put there. I mean, but how do you prepare yourself, Doc? 
I mean, yeah, is it? Is, well, the, luckily, I studied medicine before the internet, right? So, yeah. uh, I, I did it in the day when, when it was only books. So I've got a very small medical database in my head. Everything else I have to look up. You know? <laughs> and if, you're, if your doctor says that he's needs, he or she needs to look something up, then you actually like your doctor, right? Because then they're comfortable to admit that they need to check on something. Um, so, yeah, emergency medicine is always nice because you've got this A to Z approach, right? You've got to keep a very broad spectrum of knowledge uh, sort of handy. Um, and then approach things in a very uh, organized, systematic way, and then you get the clues. You get the clues. Absolutely fantastic. Doc, thank you so very much for joining us on the show. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Great to chat to you. Thank you very much, Dr. Charles von Lochenberg from uh, Emergency Medicine or rather in Emergency.